I was with you for your missions conference in February with Brother Nelms, and it's a blessing not only to be up here with you again, but uh, to be able to see my nephew and my and uh, and, and Sharon and the kids, and uh, be able to see some of you growing all the all the way that you come in. So I'm looking forward to be at school next uh, week, and then at the men's fellowship tomorrow. But uh, my dad in 2007. November preached a sermon to our church, and the concept of that ministry that you saw started on the Sunday night sermon that he preached. The sermon that he preached, he said, when Jesus spoke the Great Commission, he spoke it to one church in Jerusalem. So it was the responsibility of that local church in Jerusalem to take the gospel, not only to every nation, but to every creature. Let that sink in. There are things that God calls us to do that in our own power we cannot do. But it doesn't mean that the commandment is invalid or not to be followed. So our church in January of 2008 began to divide the world into sections. We began to divide our church membership into teams. For example, beginning in January of 2008, I took a group of three of us down to Nigeria, West Africa, where I had been a church planter when I was a young man with a big old head full of hair. And so I went down to Nigeria, and then I didn't just stop in Nigeria. I I got a preacher from Togo to take me to Benin Republic, to Togo, to Ghana, and Ivory Coast. And all we did is basic ministry like what you do here. We had prearranged churches to go visit. Prearranged schools to preach into. We had prearranged places to show gospel films. And we just went down and tried to encourage churches and win people to Christ, evangelize the lost. And then we did what Paul and Barnabas did in Acts chapter 13. When they left Antioch, they came back and gave a report. And we did that again and again and again and again. And I'm here to report to you tonight the gospel works. It's cross-cultural. It doesn't matter what language you preach it in. The gospel is the power of God. Now, 15 and a half years later, Jesus gets all the glory. We we deserve nothing to boast in ourselves. I asked Rick Martin, the great missionary of the Philippines, earlier this year on a podcast that I do every Tuesday morning, what's the secret to the success of Rick Martin sitting across the desk from me in that interview, he said to me, there's nothing good in Rick Martin. All that I have to boast in is Jesus Christ. That's the best answer. So 15 and a half years later, since we started that little humble ministry out of our church called All Nations Outreach Ministry, we've now traveled to 189 countries around the world. Many of those we've been to multiple, multiple times over and over again. And the gospel works, as I said, and we've counted now over 235,000 people being saved out of one church in a little dusty country town called Middleburg, Florida. Our church last Sunday had 360 people probably in attendance, so it's not a mega church. We got no rich people. If they're rich, they're not telling nobody about it. They're just people that love Jesus Christ. And they want their life to count for the gospel. There's no special potion. 
I'm excited about what you're going to be doing and what you've already been doing in preparing to go to Ghana and Pakistan and Honduras. Because the gospel, if you carry the gospel, God will honor it. He'll always honor a God. He'll put the angels of heaven on rations to take care of a church that loves the gospel, to take care of a people that want people to be saved in their community. And everybody that knows Anchor Baptist at all knows you're reaching your own Jerusalem. You're every week throwing out the lifeline and people are being saved. There are very few churches in this part of Ohio, yea, probably in this region of the country, that could say last Saturday we had 42 people saved. Very few churches like that because most of us are sitting on our laurels. All that I'm asking you to do is to look beyond Columbus, to look beyond your own dialect, to look upon the fields because they're wide to the harvest, but the laborers are few. I'm here just tonight as your guest to remind you that that God uses anybody. If you'll just be available, I got an old pair of slippers from Nigeria out on that table there, and if you flip them over, they're made out of radial tires that were abandoned. The beauty of those slippers to me is that a lot of times because of sin, depravity, because of things that happen in our lives, we're like those old tires that are one day sent out of the factory of Michelin and put on a car and carried across the roadways of America or even the third world. And by the way, in the third world, they'll use those tires till there's nothing left. They'll plug those things and put a tube in it, plug it again, put a tube in it, plug it again. And finally one day in Nigeria, that old tire just can't go any lower and they throw it in an old pile and some little guy that makes slippers for farmers comes along and he picks it up and he takes it down to his shop and he takes big old scissors and cuts straps out of it, makes a sole out of it and he sells it in the market. And what started as a Michelin tire on the four corners of a car ends up being somewhere down the road repurposed and it's still being used. And God takes lives that are broken and wounded and tossed aside by the devil and cast out by your family and he one day finds us laying in an old heap pile of ashes and the Bible says he gives us beauty for ashes. Don't ever think to yourself, well, God never used me because I can't sermonize by, like Pastor Bell. God's just looking for somebody to be available. Amen. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, here am I, send me. God can use you, he can use your kids. They grow up in a church like this and one day they get on an airplane and cross an ocean and take the gospel to a little village that you wouldn't even be able to pronounce the name. I could stand up here tonight and tell you about all the places that I've preached that since since just uh, since just uh, uh, February of this year when I was at your church that's been March April May June July August September we're not even out six months ago I preached the gospel in Tajikistan to to refugees that came across the border from Afghanistan running from the Taliban from their life and I've watched the gospel save those folks that speak the Persian language just since just just this since uh, since uh, February of this year I've gone into the dark dark parts of the Congo way out in the jungle I was in a little town called Kipushi 
Kipushi. I was preaching for one of our nationals. His name is David Kazadi Wakazadi. Aren't you glad for names like Smith and Jones and White? Back in that little town called Kipushi that you'd probably be hard-pressed to find on a map. I walked into a prison and preached the gospel one day with Brother Daniel uh, Dawson and, and others from the local church there. And I saw over 300 of those jailers get saved or those inmates get saved. Every Thursday now, that Pastor Kazadi Wakazadi, he goes back there for Bible study every Thursday. The gospel works. I was up in New Finland. You know New Finland? The further, here's a trivia question. The furthest eastern part of North America. It's in a little place called Cape Fear, New Finland. Just the furthest part of Canada you can go to before you drop into the Atlantic Ocean. And I was down there with my wife, and we were going out to this little island called St. Pierre that's French-speaking. You can get on a ferry and ride for an hour and a half, and you go from North America to Europe just by getting off the ferry. That's a French colony and the French territory. And I stayed on that island of St. Pierre, and I met a little 83-year-old lady to an Anglican church all of her life, 83 years of age, not saved, didn't know a thing about the gospel, heard about the priest said this and the priest said that, but nothing about the gospel, standing, I mean standing on the front steps of her church, she prayed with me and my wife, asked Jesus to be her savior, see the gospel works, you can be white, you can be black, you can be Hispanic, you can be Asian, the same gospel works everywhere. I'll be getting on a plane a couple weeks going back down to Kenya. I was in Kenya this week, uh, or this year already, but I'm going back for my second time this, this uh, year. And I was in Mombasa. 75% of the population of that great city of Mombasa are Islamic, are Muslims. And yet the gospel works. People all over that region, most of the time we say, oh, they don't want to listen, but they'll listen if the Holy Spirit works in their heart. So our desire is, uh, I turned 54 this year. I know I look a lot younger than that, but I turned 54 next month, and our desire is to spend all the years that God gives us taking the gospel to what Paul talked about where Christ is not named. We talk about how, oh, people in America don't know the gospel. You have no clue how much more Bible there's in this room, how much understanding there's some of you men right here that know more about the Bible right now than the typical pastor living in India. Pastor, you know, and you sit on that information you got, and unless you become a conduit and let God throw, flow through you to get the God, he'll just dry you up inside. But if you'll learn to take what God has taught you from your childhood, some of y'all, and use it for his glory, He'll feed you, feed you, feed you with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God, and you can spend your whole life going from place to place telling people how to be born again. And uh, I want to read to you a scripture. It's not a, it's not a scripture you hadn't heard of, but in Mark chapter 16 tonight, I oftentimes get asked to say, will you sign my Bible? And I, I always am honored to do that, but I always include this verse. This is my life verse, Mark chapter 16. And verse number 15, you could quote it to me. If those of you have been saved at all for a long period at all, you could quote it to me. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. We have an every creature gospel. We have an every creature commission. 
this was not the great suggestion, this was the great commission. He said to the church at Jerusalem, go preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel works. I was preaching, Pastor Bell. I was at our home church just two Sunday nights ago. It was my first time to be back at our church since I've been traveling since last uh, October. It's the first time in several weeks on a Sunday at least to be back in our church. And right in the middle of my sermon while I was preaching the word of God at our church in Middleburg, the Lord began to direct my attention towards the fact that the gospel can save anybody. I'm not one of these Baptists that think some folks are called to be saved and some folks are called to be lost. That's a bunch of nonsense out of hell. And But sometimes we're not Calvinistic in our theology, but we're Calvinistic in our thinking because we say that guy don't want to be saved. He's never going to get saved. Oh, he's committed too much. God couldn't reach down and save him. And we even try to justify it, Brother Celia, with verses out of like Romans 1 where the Bible talks about the reprobate. And we say, well, the guy's a reprobate. Obviously, God washed his hands of him. So long as you've got breath in your lungs and you'll turn to Jesus, he'll save you. So right in the middle of my sermon two Sunday nights ago, I began to talk about the sin of homosexuality. Now, that's not the typical sermon that you're going to hear me preach on a Sunday night. But I went back to Leviticus, and I'm reading these scriptures out of what God calls homosexuality. And then I said, but the gospel can even save homosexuals. Some people don't believe that. But I flipped over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I got our church membership to read verses 9 through verse number 11 where it describes the folks that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it goes through a list of them, drunkard, uh, adulterer, and then it comes down to that little phrase in verse number 9 and it says effeminate. Some of y'all, the only time in the Bible the word effeminate is used, it comes from the word malakos in the Greek and the word malakos in the book of Matthew, it's used two other times in the scripture I think, and it's translated soft raiment, soft. There's a, there's a generation of boys in America being raised soft. Y'all understand that? And it's, it's a political movement almost that tries to almost feminize boys. In that verse of scripture, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, he puts a feminine next to the next phrase, which is abusers of themselves with mankind. Abuser of yourself with mankind is a homosexual. There's something about when you raise a boy to be soft, he's right up close to becoming homosexual. You understand that? So I'm preaching about that, and then I talk about verse 11 where Paul said to the church of Corinth, and, uh, and such were some of you, which means amongst that congregation in the church at uh, Corinth, there were people that used to be homosexual, and they got saved. When you're washed in the blood of Jesus, he can forgive us of all sin. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your loved one. All it takes is that little spark they can turn to Jesus. We gave the invitation, and this is two Sunday nights ago, and a fella of 25 years of age or so came walking down the aisle with his cousin, and they're both weeping. They talked to my dad, and he calls me aside. He says, go talk to this young man. And the young man, I mean, he was ready to get saved just like that, 25 years of age. As soon as he got saved, he said, I, his, his, aunt, his cousin actually told me, said, just last week he announced to our family that he has become a homosexual. And God brought him as a visitor to our church on a night when the Lord just laid on my heart saying something about the abomination of homosexuality. Don't you know the gospel can save anybody? We're not Calvinist. Gospel's available to the whole world. Um, let me give you some verses of scripture. Matthew 28, 19, 20, the Great Commission also. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission. Luke 24, verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name, uh, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he gave the marching orders to take the gospel to all nations and to every creature. We have an every creature commission. God's put it upon the shoulders of Anchor Baptist Church in Columbus to take the gospel. Don't put it on the church down the street for you to take the gospel to every nation and to every creature. I'll give you three points about how that the early church did this and how you can do it and so can we in Florida. Number one, the early church took the spreading of the gospel personally. It has to be a personal commission. The command was given to the church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. But listen to this next statement. Underline it in your mind. Tuck it away in your memory. The great missionary work of the early church was layman driven. I want you, I want to say it again. The early missionary, the great missionary work of the early church in Acts was, was layman driven. You're not going to win the world to Christ if you put it on his shoulder and his shoulder and his shoulder and the rest of y'all just take it easy. It's not going to work. It has to be personally, you take it upon yourself and your children and your husband and your wife and your family and your grandchildren that it's your job to take the gospel to every creature. In the book of Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1 if you can flip there with me. Acts 8, they were all scattered abroad. This is just the first part. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The word scattered there is not, they were being persecuted, but there's two words that are translated scattered in the New Testament, and one is when you're scattered because you're afraid of something, and the other is the idea of scattering like a sower scatters a seed. They purposefully scattered to, it says here in verse 8, or verse 1 of chapter 8, to Judea and Samaria. I wonder why they went there. Because in Acts 1.8, just eight chapters earlier, the command was Judea, Jerusalem, that's where they were at, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. So the early church, minus the pastors who stayed back at Jerusalem, the early church went to these regions. The members went to these regions scattering the word of God. They, they are the ones that were scattering. And that's why in chapter 8, you immediately dive into the story of Stephen. You immediately dive into the story of Philip because they were not the apostles. They were deacons. They were just regular church members. And as soon as they're scattered to these other regions, you find the stories of laymen going and preaching the gospel. Don't say, 
Oh, I could never do that. No, you've been commanded to do that. You've been commanded. Then when you dive into chapter 9 of this portion of, or, or of, the, uh, of the book of Acts, you find, well, let me flip over my page and let me read something to you in chapter 9, verse 31 and just the first part. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. All right, let me stop here. So the apostles are back in Jerusalem. The story of Saul of Tarsus begins in chapter 9. Remember, Saul is going to Damascus, Syria. If you take a map, Jerusalem's way down here, and Damascus is way up here, and Judea and Samaria are over here, and you've got to go all the way up past the Sea of Galilee, and you keep on going north, and you come to Syria. What's today? Damas I preach the gospel in Damascus, Syria, at Baptist churches the old city of Damascus. I've walked on the cobblestone streets called straight that are still there. Saul of Tarsus is on his way from Jerusalem and he's got papers and he's going to get up there to Damascus and he's going to start arresting these Christians. He's going to persecute them the way they've been getting persecuted back in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, just about the time he gets there, light comes out of heaven, falls down to the ground. Oh, who art thou, Lord? What would thou have me to do? And he's blind. They take him into the city of Damascus. And he goes into a house of Judas. He's there for three days. I have stood inside of the very house of Judas preaching the gospel in the house there where Paul was brought with scales falling off his eyes. God speaks to a guy named Ananias says, go meet this guy, Saul of Tar. Oh, I don't want to go meet this guy. I've heard bad stuff about him. He goes down there and the scales fall off his eyes. He prays for him. And then they decide they're going to kill this guy because he's now proclaiming the one he used to hate. So they take him up on the wall one night and drop him down in a basket. Remember that? He escapes and runs away out the city of Damascus. Now, here's my point in telling you that story. The, 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 the word church is found in Acts 8 or Acts 1 and Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 and Acts 6 and Acts 7 and Acts 8. And when you come to chapter 9, you see in verse 31, churches. So who started these churches? The apostles are back in Jerusalem. When Saul of Tarsus is going all these miles up the road and he finds these Christians and he's wanting to persecute them, how these folks get saved? They were led to Christ by converts from Jerusalem that were just laymen. You understand that? And, and a church at Jerusalem becomes churches in Judea, churches in Samaria, churches in Damascus, Syria, you see, the early church took getting the gospel around the world personally. Amen. They said it's our job. Amen. It's our job. Now, pastors are important. Won't you agree? I'll give you a verse of scripture. Go to the book of Titus, chapter 1. Titus, chapter 1, verse number 5. Titus 1, 5. Let me read it to you. Follow along. And it says, for this call, this is Paul writing to his preacher boy, Titus. And he says, for this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. Now, here's what we know about the Cretans. They had to be Baptist. 
Because the Bible says in verse 12 of chapter 1 that they were slow bellies, evil beasts, always liars. That describes Baptists. They might have been from Columbus, Ohio. I don't know. But aren't you glad God doesn't describe you like that? They described themselves like that in verse 12. One of their prophets did. So Paul is there. There have been Christians saved in Acts chapter 2, remember. When Peter preached on Pentecost, there were Christians saved. They went back to their own people like they're commanded to and they're taking the gospel to their own brothers and sisters and cousins and moms and dads. And somewhere, that he said ordain elders in every city. Historians tell us there were about 40 cities on the island of Crete during that time. If you're starting to ordain elders in every city, then you gotta have a church in every city. So there's probably 40 churches at least scattered on that little island. And Paul says to Titus, I left you there for two reasons, set things in order. That's what a pastor's supposed to do. Bible says, remember in Ephesians, that they're given to us for the perfecting of the saints. But my point is that if he was to ordain elders in every city, that means there was a church there with no pastor that had been ordained. Laban led. Layman planted. There were Christians that went back and after they got saved, they took the gospel and started winning their family. They got them a little Bible study going there. Now they had a church and needed a pastor. Most of the time we say, well, we can't start a church without a pastor. They did. They did. See, chapters one through eight, everything that's happening in all these different places is starting not because... Peter and John showed up is starting because the church members showed up and the disciples were tearing in Jerusalem. The early church, I said, took it personally. Number two, the early church preached the gospel powerfully. Now there's two powers there that I read to you earlier. Matthew 28, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That power has the idea or the meaning of all authority. So he says to the church, I'm giving you the power I got. All power belongs to me in heaven and in earth, and now I'm commanding you in that same authority to take the gospel to the end of the world. But Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, and in Luke chapter 24, it's a different power. It's not the word authority. It has the idea of might or strength. It is a Greek word dunamis. If you're going to preach the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world, you're going to talk to their ears and to their intellect, but you need the power of God to speak the word of God. If you study the early church, they weren't cowering behind the bushes when people came through looking for them. They were standing up boldly. They had a great power. When they spake, they spake with authority. The world is so tired of looking at Christianity that's anemic and passive and nonchalant about everything. And people around us are looking for folks that believe what they say they believe and believe it from their heart. You study the scripture in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 29. Now the Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may preach or speak the word. He said, grant it, Lord, give me boldness. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken and they were, they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. The sign of spirit-filledness is not speaking some gibberish that nobody understands. It's preaching the word of God with boldness. When God gets a hold of your heart, when God begins to work through you, you'll forget about yourself and your appearance and how you're going to be perceived by people and you'll say, I've got to preach the message of Christ no matter what they say. Boldness. They preached with power, thirdly, and this is the, the, the point of the whole sermon is this third point, so please put your best listening ears on and listen to this third point. The early church scattered the gospel purposefully. Go with me to the book of Colossians and chapter number one and verse five and six. Now Paul is writing to this new church in Colossia, Colossae and he says in verse five, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before the word of the truth uh, heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now watch it which is come unto you as it is in all the world. Paul said, listen to this statement, 32 years have passed since the Great Commission was given in Acts chapter 1. Paul, 32 years later, is writing to this church in the city of Colossae, and he says, the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world. The world included all of Asia Minor. And he said 32 years later, after the commission is given, the gospel has been preached in all the world. Look down to verse 23, Colossians 1.23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Now how much clearer can you get? 32 years after Jesus spoke the great commission, the apostle Paul said, the gospel has been preached to every creature. That blew my socks off when I read it. One-third of the world's population today, out of eight billion, one-third of the world's population will live and die and never hear the gospel. That's not made-up statistics. One-third, 2.6 billion people will live and die and go to hell and never get a gospel track put in their head. I'm not talking about hearing just they heard some of it but not all of it. What I'm talking about they will die and never hear any of it. So the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 28, if you need some more proof verses, Acts 5 28 saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in, the name, in, his, in this name and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. The whole city of Jerusalem filled. Acts chapter 19 verse 10, 
This continued by the space of two years so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't that amazing? Romans chapter 15, verse 18. For I will not dare to speak any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. Paul's talking about wanting to come to Rome and have some fruit amongst the Romans. He says to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, verse 19, Romans chapter 15, verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that they from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so that I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, and they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Verse 22, so which for, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Verse 23, but now having no more place in these parts. What does that mean? Every place from Jerusalem and the whole region all the way up to Illyricum, that's a distance of 1,000 miles. Paul said there's not a hamlet, there's not a town, there's not a village, there's not, there's not a lost man who can say I've never heard. How are we doing? Compared to what those people did back there, we are miserable failures. At that time, there were 300 million people living in the world. We know that there were 120 people in the upper room when Jesus arose and he appeared to 500 brethren after his resurrection. So let's just round it up to 700 and then let's divide 300 million people by 700 and for every known believer in Acts chapter 1, they had to reach 428,500 people to Christ. Seems like an amazing task, doesn't it? Today there are 8 billion people in the world and if you counted up all the Baptist, independent Baptist churches, not only in America, but in uh, in Canada, North American Independent Baptists, they say that there are somewhere near 10,000 altogether. The average size of an independent Baptist church in America and North America estimates, say that it's 70 members. If you took that, that means that there are 700,000 of us. Eight billion people. If you were to do the math, you'd come up with the idea that each of us need to reach one or 10,000 people to Christ. They had to reach 428,500 to Christ per one. We've got to reach only 10,000 per one. They did it in 32 years. The reason that we are failing, in my opinion, and this is just little old me, is that we account 0.5%. That's one half of 1% of our church members become professional missionaries and we as churches say to that 0.5% one half of 1% of our members y'all go do your job and we'll send you some money and pray for you 
there must be a change of heart and a change of thought process that says, listen to this, we are all missionaries. We must all bear this burden. We must all see ourselves differently. You see, my friend, we're waiting on a call when we have a command. The command is there. there there's no reason even to pray about the call because the command is clear. If we could all say in our hearts, I'm a missionary. Oh, you may be a plumber, but you're a missionary first. You may be a school teacher, but first you're a missionary. And if every church, think about it, just think about it. I told you about our church in Florida, and we're not anything like this church in the book of Acts. The last 15 years, we've seen 235,000 souls saved. One church. Our members paying for their plane tickets, giving blood plasma two times a week so they could get money, buy a plane ticket, and go across an ocean and tell somebody that Jesus saves. If all of us could do that, say by the grace of God, I'm going to follow after the example of Acts. I'll give you one illustration of this, I'll finish. If you study the church at Thessalonica, what you're going to find is that Paul came by with Silas and Timothy and started the church in Thessalonica. I preached at a Baptist church in Thessalonica, right up on the northern brim of, of Greece, not far from what's now northern Macedonia and just a four or five hours distance from Turkey. I preached in that region and preached in independent Baptist churches. When Paul came through there preaching the gospel, he had a little bit of fruit, but they were being persecuted. In fact, they said, you need to go down to Berea. It's getting too hot here. He went down to Berea and found a warm welcome there, but the folks at Thessalonica largely didn't want him there. But he had some fruit. I want to show you a verse of scripture. Go over 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now Paul's down in Corinth. He's writing back to this baby church that he had all of spent, maybe he might have spent three months there. Now if you're a convert, you've been saved three months, there's not a whole lot you probably know at that point. He might have, some say three weeks, but I think three months because it says in Philippians 4 that they sent to him once and again and they helped him, the church at Philippi, and you can't just send a parcel and get it there in a couple days back in those times. So he might have been there up to three months, him and Silas and Timothy. Well, he's getting worried, and he sends Timothy up to check on the church at Thessalonica. Timothy comes back with a good report, and so Paul, sitting in Corinth, he writes the epistle of 1 Thessalonians to a church that's three months old. And here's what he says, verse 6. And ye become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. This baby church, three months, no pastor, not even a full Bible like we have. 
no gospel tracts, no Bible college education, no internet, no vehicle transportation, no printing press, no online studies, no uh, people that had been second generation believers, but they in three months had preached it hot so much that Paul said, in all they were doing, they were taking the gospel to every place so that nobody else needed to even speak the gospel in those areas. This happened in three months. And it can happen again. And we'll all be in on being an all-in gospel-preaching church. God can use us like he used them. 54 years of age this year I could just sail to the finish line but my father's 75 years old pastor of the church for 37 years salary house beautiful wife that everybody mistakes as being my daughter grandkids living right up the block but the burning desire of my heart sure that everybody hears tonight all I'm imploring you to do is to say I'm a missionary first I can do all these other things but first I'm a missionary churches are full of beautiful choirs and chandeliers and nice carpet and I'm not telling you go have a rummage sale and sell it all I'm saying you can do all those things but if you're not a missionary first it's no wonder reaching the world for Christ. Don't be afraid of your kid going to mission field. What an honor to say one of my own children preaching the gospel in another language. Would you bow your head for prayer, please?